Our text of emphasis this morning is found in the book of Acts, chapter 18, and starting with verse 1. It says this, after this, uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a, uh, because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he uh, reasoned together in the synagogue and tried to pr- persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord uh, spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Agalio was uh, proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. Uh, this man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a p- complaint about some misdemeanor or serious cli- crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I won't judge on such things. So he uh, drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the current synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this narrative now, we pray for understanding on what is going on here and what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're picking up in this story today right where we left off uh, last week. If you remember last week, uh, Paul was in Athens. He has now moved to Corinth. By the way, you can catch up with all of our uh, teachings in this Acts series at adventhope.org. As Junior mentioned earlier, they are uh, recording both the audio and video, and you can catch up there for all the great uh, times we had, have had together. By the way, this is our last uh, Acts series as we head into the uh, Easter season. So we are picking up again with Paul. He is now in the city of uh, Corinth, and he has met some new friends, Aquila and Priscilla, who will become a prominent couple in the New Testament church. And so um, the narrative says that every uh, Sabbath, Paul would go to the synagogue to try to persuade those who were there, both Jews and Greeks, that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, 
Messiah was the uh, predicted one to come in the Old Testament that was going to be God's person to, uh, to rescue Israel from uh, all that uh, had, had happened in their, in their history. And so they were looking forward to the Messiah. And so Paul comes trying to convince the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus is this uh, Messiah. But he became uh, frustrated because they, um, or many, were not embracing this message and apparently became abusive. And so he pledged to then focus his work on the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were those who were not of the Jewish uh, faith. Uh, so this leads to a, a, our first question for today, and that is why were our Jewish friends here so upset? What, what made them so upset about this idea that Jesus was uh, the Messiah? In chapter 18, verse 13, we see what's going on. This man is persuading. This is the argument that, uh, that they take, to the, the religious leaders take about Ju- Jesus. This man is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And so the argument against Paul is that he was encouraging uh, people to, uh, quote, worship contrary to the law. Now, how was claiming Jesus as the Messiah perceived to be persuading a people to worship in ways contrary to the law? And why, why again, were our Jewish friends here so upset? Well, we really actually have to look a little bit broader than this narrative to figure that out. And so we go to one of the letters that many attribute to Paul, the book of Hebrews, where we have a direct kind of argument about Jesus as Messiah being made to those of, of a Jewish background. And so in chap- Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, we see an argument that probably is similar to what Paul would have been making in this synagogue in Corinth that created such, uh, such a problem. And so Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, In the past, uh, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now, if Paul went into a synagogue with this message, uh, so far everybody is in complete agreement uh, with him. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. Yes, God has spoken to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. Yes, this is undoubtedly true. No problem there. But he has includes a but in this statement. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with, uh, with the Jewish faith, you know that the idea of God having a son is antithetical to everything that one would uh, believe. You know, our Jewish friends still today embrace Deuteronomy cha- chapter 6 and verse 4, uh, which is really a, 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 the idea that God is uh, a singularity. There is only one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so the idea that God was have a son was just not not rational. So here Paul comes with an argument probably similar to this, making the case that uh, God has spoken to uh, humanity through his son. Verse 3 continues, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, again, there's just a lot going on here, and, but the implications are pretty clear that uh, Jesus has uh, interjected himself into a Jewish uh, religious 
symbolism in that he has fulfilled some of the things that our Jewish friends had been waiting for, and this was uh, obviously controversial. Now, Hebrews 10 goes on to continue to articulate an argument like Paul probably made to the Corinth synagogue. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. The law is, now we, we can imagine now Paul at potluck, right? So the synagogue is over. Paul has not been asked to speak because he's come, so he's at potluck. Everybody's sitting around trying to have a good time, but Paul, being Paul, is there to persuade, as, as uh, Acts 18 says, to persuade Jews and, and Greeks about Jesus. So he's adamant about this. So he goes to potluck, and he's stirring things up, and he says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Now, that's, that's controversial. Everything that you, you have uh, believed, people, is just a shadow of what God is, is actually doing. Uh, it's not the reality of themselves, he says. For this reason, it can never, talking about the law, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Skipping over to verse 4. It is impossible, impossible, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, the idea of blood and goats taking away sins wasn't something that our Jewish friends just came up with. It was articulated back in the book of Leviticus, in the, in the, the, the revelation of God in, in, uh, in Leviticus. And so, again, you can see why there would be some consternation in what Paul, what, the, the case that Paul is making. Verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 10. Day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. For by one sacrifice, verse 14 says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So he's quoting uh, the, the Old Testament here to, 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 try to, to try to be able to communicate with them effectively. And then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where have these things been forgiven? Uh, the sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So Paul comes and he's hanging out in the synagogue and he's making this claim that Jesus has come and it's changed the game. right? That the law, the thing in which everyone... In, in, in the community valued most highly is actually just a shadow of the good things that come through Jesus. So we can imagine, I mean, this, this would be challenging. If you had spent your entire life going to synagogue every Sabbath morning and uh, your whole experience, your, 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 your mom and dad went to synagogue, your mom and, mo- mom and dad, mo- mom and dad's mom and dad went to synagogue and back and back and back and they every day the law was uh, crucial to their understanding of uh, what it mean, meant to be a follower of God for Paul to come and to start raising these uh, ideas the idea that the law is actually only a, a shadow of good things that are coming and that everything is 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 completed in Jesus would be uh, challenging and so we can see why the first century Jewish religious leaders had a difficult time embracing the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul was 
uh, bringing a message that saying that Jesus transcended uh, really everything that they had uh, known about who God is and, and about their uh, faith system. And so the implications of this good news that Paul was bringing uh, is that the, uh, the Old Testament uh, worship system was uh, limited. It was incomplete. It wasn't actually capable of, of, of washing away anyone's sin. And so even though you took part in the religious practices, it really didn't do what it needed to do to make people a whole. And so, again, this is uh, challenging. But I would suggest to you that this idea isn't just challenging to the, uh, the Jewish uh, religious system of the first century, but it's really a challenge to any system in which a ceremony and ethics are at the core of uh, one having a value. And so the, certainly the Jewish worship, worship system of the first century is not the only, uh, the only practice to value uh, ceremony and ethics. And so most of the systems in which we are involved in even today value uh, ceremony and uh, ethics, or ritual and ethics. I mean, if you're a Christian today, uh, ritual and ethics, if you're, I mean, if you're Adventist, ritual and ethics is probably an important part of your understanding of what it means to be Adventist, right? You have the ritual, you know, you go, maybe you you go to a, a church gathering once a week on Sabbath, Got to be on the on the seventh day. You go on the seventh day. That's part of your ritual. You just go every uh, week or as often as you can. That's part of the ritual. And there are other things that you just do. Some of you are you even get up early and you go to Sabbath school. And you and you and you. We don't. We have a Christian education now. This is our, our term for adult Sabbath school because we didn't want to be pedantic to you. We invite you to a kind of a Christian education. We we do have kids. Uh, Sabbath school, and so some of you, you come to that, that's part of your ritual, you come, you take part in classes, and, and you're part of that, it's part of the ritual, but then there's also the ethical element, there's a way that you behave that just is the way that, again, talking to a group, many of you may be Adventists, that Adventists behave, there are things that you do, and there are things that you don't do, and so the idea that ceremony and ethics are part of just their systems of religion, but it's not just, it's not just rooted in religion, I mean, really, most areas in our lives, our value is rooted in our ability to participate in ceremony and a ritual. And, and when we break out of that a ritual or ceremony, it can create a challenge. I think of our man Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, you know, the, the, the quarterback from the 49ers, and he, you know, he decided that he was going to make a, a stand, in his mind, an ethical stand, right, but his stand was by kneeling. He was going to kneel during the national anthem at the football game, right? So he was doing this to make a statement about an important uh, uh, issue, the injustice that's going on in our, our country. But what he was doing is he was, he was denying the ritual, right? So before this, his, his value was rooted in being a, a, a good player. He was an excellent player. But he broke the ritual, and what happened? Suddenly, his value dropped off a cliff to the point where now the NFL is being accused, and probably rightfully so, of collusion, not wanting to hire him because he is rejecting the ritual of standing during the national anthem. So here, ritual and uh, ethics, ritual and behavior are not just uh, elements of 
religion, it's really, it permeates everything. This man's uh, value, even though he had an innate ability to play, his value drops off the cliff because he's not willing to participate in uh, the ritual. And this is true for all of us. I mean, you, you think about your, your, your job. There's ritual and there's ethics in your job, right? If, if your job tells you to show up, have the ritual of showing up at 9 a.m., um, and you decide that you don't like that ritual, how long are you going to continue working in that place? Probably not, not very long, right? Because your value is, is rooted in your ability to, to adhere to the rituals of the environment and, and then be ethical, to operate according to the, uh, the boundaries in which uh, you, your career field or uh, whatever other groups you may be a part of, that you are able to, to adhere to the ethics of that group. You guys with me here? So ritual, ritual and ethics are in a part of just how society uh, works. And so Paul's message to our friends uh, of the first century Jews, listen, it's challenging to us too because Paul's kind of turning things on the, uh, the head and saying, you know, actually your value is not rooted in your ability or willingness to do ritual and uh, be ethical, to, to do, uh, to do uh, ethics and to be uh, ritualistic. Your value is not rooted in this. The gospel, the good news, actually subverts this idea. Um, we think of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. How about this? The Son, talking about Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, uh, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. What, what uh, Colossians is telling us is that everything comes from God. Every person comes from God, and therefore every person has innate, innate value. And this is, this is radical. Your value is not rooted in your ability to, uh, to keep ritual. Your value is not rooted in your ability to be ethical. You, as a human being, have innate value because God created human beings. All right? This, I mean, human rights is, is, a, is a biblical concept. You have a, you have a value. You have a right as a human being because you uh, have been created by uh, God. God is ultimately responsible for all things that have been made. Uh, man, I, how, how great was it when the kids, they were singing? I mean, he knows my name. I mean, that's the message of value. There's a, a God, a transcendent God, but who values us so much that he knows our individual names. He knows who we are. We have innate value that transcends our willingness to abide by ritual or our ability to be ethical. You see where this is transformative. Right? This is not how the world uh, works. This is why the, the, the good news is, is good. It's like a completely different thing. How about uh, John chapter 3, and verse, starting with verse 15, one of the most famous uh, passages in all of the Bible, that says, Everyone who believes may have eternal life in, in him. Everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through, in, through him, and whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is a, a, a message of, like, 
universal openness to, to being embraced by God, right? Every single person, I mean, it couldn't say it more. Everyone, whoever, whoever, everyone has equal opportunity. You all have value. Everybody has value. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful concept. You, you, you go to work, it doesn't work like that. You're like, I have value just because I am? No. You know, that's not going to go very far, right, Michael? You stop working, they're going to be like, well, it was nice knowing you, Michael, right? For any of us. Our value is, is, is rooted in our ability to get the job done, to do what we're supposed to do. And that means keeping ritual, and that means being ethical, whatever that means in our, in our context. But the gospel brings a whole different picture, a whole different picture, that your value is rooted in uh, who you come from, that God has made you, that God has made the human race, and that we are innately valuable be because of that. And if we embrace Jesus' work on our behalf, then, then God is, is there to save us, to ultimately rescue us from a broken world. And whoever does that, doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter how much finances you're capable of making, doesn't matter how smart you are, everybody has the opportunity for this. And this is transformative. But it does shift the game, because this is not how uh, the world usually works. And so uh, the next question is, what, what, does this, what does this mean for us? What are the implications of, a, of us as humans, every single one of us, every person on the planet having innate value? What does this mean for us? Uh, well, we see in 1 John chapter 3 and verse uh, 1 uh, this. What great love the Father has lavished on, on us. Uh, that we should be called children of God. So now, uh, John is talking specifically to people who have embraced the idea that, uh, that Jesus has done for them what they cannot do for themselves. And so if you embrace this, first of all, you're innately valuable as a human being. Uh, but you still have, to have, you have free will, and so God is going to rescue those who, who want to be uh, rescued. And so uh, you have free will, so you make a decision, you embrace what God has done on your behalf. And if that's the case, then you are, are, are a child of God. That you are embraced as a, a child of God. And this has particular implications. Again, we think about the kind of relationship, of, of, a healthy relationship between a parent and a child. Listen, I mean, I have three, I have three children, as, as you know, as many of you know. And uh, listen, my, their self-worth is not based on anything except for the fact that they are my kids, right? I mean, what if I was like, you know, you just, you didn't really sing that great today for the program. I, you know, you're, you're, you were up here, but your value to me now is, is down here. Now, I mean, I, I, I hesitant to say that because sadly there are, you know, some terrible uh, parental figures like that. But in a healthy relationship, hey, you know, you, you, your value is not based, as a child, is not based on, your ability to be uh, great, thank God, right? Your value in a healthy relationship is, is there because you are from that parent. My kid, I, they, they, I, I'm sure that right now they're, they're so cute and you know, everything is pretty good. I'm sure that there are, there are tumultuous times to, to, uh, to come. I'm, I'm getting, getting ready now. My oldest is, is nine, so I'm, I'm hoping I got a couple more years. Is Levi here? He's downstairs, hopefully. Anyway, I'm hoping I got a couple more years before things get crazy. But even if they do get crazy, and he does some things which I'm imagining and I'm prepared for because I know 
what it was like myself. And um, there's bound to be craziness. My parents are saints, almost, because I, I put them through some interesting things. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, man, your kids, if you have a healthy relationship, their value is not rooted in how awesome they are, right? And this is the picture that God wants to give to us. Our value in God's eyes is not related to how awesome we are or how able we're to, to, to get it together or, or how ethical we are or whether we are, are, are committed to all the rituals. I mean, this is the message. This is the message of, of, of Paul that was so challenging. Hey, the rituals actually were just shadows of things to come. They were just supposed to be leading us to the, the Messiah. And, and when your ritual doesn't do that, then ritual actually be, gets in the way. Our value is not related to our ability to keep ritual. I think I have a, I tried to, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but you can see, so a person or in, in, the, uh, in the first century, you know, you had a much more communal sense. So a person or a community's way to justify their self-value uh, uh, is, you know, in the law concept, which is what Paul was addressing, is related to their ability to observe worship practices, i.e. the ceremony, or to uh, work, or, uh, work to do or not do specific things. That's ethics, that you do or, or don't do specific things. That's the law concept of justifying your self-value. But the good news concept says, hey, believe and trust in God's work because you're all, you already have self-value. See, that's a, that's, a, that's a totally different construct. You guys with me here? Is this making sense? Because I didn't know, I don't know if that makes sense at all, that, that visual, but hopefully. Okay, where are we? All right, so we're, 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 we're children. We're children. Um, how about this? 1 John uh, chapter 3 and verse 8. This is, this is dealing with the question, what's... What's the outcome of, of this? What's the outcome of this, this new way of thinking that Paul was bringing to uh, the, the Jews and the, and the Greeks in the first century and brings to us today? Well, uh, John clarifies this. John is his, his uh, fellow apostle. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, which says, The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason that Jesus appeared was to, to destroy the devil's work. Uh, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's uh, seed remains in them. Uh, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do uh, what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, this is, a, I think, a really... Uh, challenging uh, passage because suddenly we're back to like ethics and doing what's right, right? And and John is saying, hey, like actually a person who is uh, is born and, and has embraced Jesus is actually uh, going to do right things. Is going to be ethical. And so, uh oh, we're back to ethics. But I thought Paul was saying like our value isn't rooted in us being ethical or us uh, abiding by ritual tradition. And that is, that is true. So hold on. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. It is by grace that you have been saved uh, through faith. So your value, your ability to be saved is not rooted in your ability to be ritualistic or to be ethical. 
This is not from, from God, not from yourselves. It is from God as a gift, not by works so that no one can boast. But we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision uh, will be uh, rescued. And so the message is, again, really clear. Look, hey, when you embrace what God has done on your behalf and, and acknowledge that your value is rooted in who you are as a human uh, being, and it's not rooted in your ability to be ritualistic or your ability to be ethical, uh, God is able to come and, and do in you what you can't do for yourselves and starts making adjustments to your ethics and maybe even to bring some ritual in your experience, but that is God's work uh, in your experience. It's not your own. So this is kind of the weird dichotomy that, that happens is the, you know, if you focus on your, your ritual and your ethics for your self-value, it doesn't work that way because your value is not rooted in that. Your value is rooted in the fact that you are a creation of the God of heaven. And as you, you embrace his work, you actually become an adopted child of God, and you have all the privileges of that. But when that happens, then God's promise is that he's going to work in you and actually help you to be ethical, right? So I think another, I, I don't know, again, if these illustrations are help, helpful, but here, do we have the other one? How about this? So the, the law thinking, the law construct is uh, make your work good and God will accept you. And the good news construct is completely opposite is God accepts you and will make your work good. It's like the, uh, the exact opposite thing. This is the good news, right? God doing what we cannot do. And so uh, uh, a religion, a, an ethical system, and by the way, it's not just, again, as we mentioned, it's not just related to religion. I mean, all philosophy is rooted really in this idea that we got to be good people, and our value is being good people and observing the rituals that our society invites us to observe. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is a completely different thing where God is the one doing all of the work. He created humanity, so we have value in that. As we exercise our free will and embrace his work through Jesus on our behalf, he is then able to come in us and start doing things in us that we can't do for ourselves. And so even that is his work. Even our ethics, our ability to be ethical is his work. Our value is rooted in him and him alone. This is good news. I mean, no wonder Paul was so excited about going in a place that he knew was going to be hostile. He knew it was going to be challenged, but he wanted to go there because he felt like this was the greatest news you could possibly share to anyone. Hey, you've been working your whole life trying to get your act together because you have some sense, whether you're religious or not, some sense that you're not living up to what you should live up to. And so you spend your day after day after day getting out of bed and trying to think, how am I going to get it together today? And listen, I know I've talked to enough of you and I've been there myself to know this is the human condition, right? We try to act like everything is okay, but deep down inside we know there are shortcomings in our own experience and we just can't seem to get over them. And so we feel this sense of, of, of lack of, of worth and lack of value. And sometimes we try to uh, boost that up and maybe even go overboard by becoming narcissistic. But the reality is there's, there's pain and there's brokenness deep down inside. And so we try to get it together, but it just doesn't work. And so the gospel is, hey, 
hey, you have uh, a value even though you are broken, even though you aren't uh, together. And if you let God do in you what he wants to do, he can start making the fixes that you will never, ever, ever do to be the kind of ethical person, to, 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 to make the kind of uh, impact that needs to be made in your life, to, to be transformed and changed. And so as we head into this uh, season of, of, of resurrection and being thoughtful about what God has done uh, for us through Jesus, and next Friday, I hope you come out. It's a great time. It's our annual tradition to, to just be thoughtful about uh, the last hours of Jesus' death. And we're going to have some readings, and we're going to listen to some beautiful music together, and we're just going to contemplate what God has done through that. And then we're going to gather together next uh, Sabbath morning at 9 and 11. We're going to have communion service. And I, there's nothing more, and I see this in all honesty, that, that I love than having communion with, with our church family. We'll get in a big circle here, and we're going to eat the bread and we're going to drink the juice, recognizing that our value does not come from our ability to be ritualistic. This is not a ritual. This is a remembrance that God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so we're going to come to do that. And you know what is also going to happen next week? We're going to have a baptism here, which I am really, really excited about. And so it's going to be a great time next week. May we, may we be people who are being transformed by this good news that it's not our work, it's God's work in us. Amen.